On Sunday nights, uh, we are, as most of you know by now, in a series called Life with Luke. It's a textual series where we're simply going through the book of Luke, uh, the Gentile doctor's uh, uh, unique perspective on the life of Jesus. And this is important to us, as not as doctors, but as Gentiles. Uh, we see some things that Luke highlights and brings out that are important uh, in our world. I'm going to ask you tonight, what is your attitude toward authority? How do you like authority? I'm looking at the youth group because, I mean, that's, that's where you really, you, you first learn those lessons. I mean, of course, the, the first God-given authority is, is your mom and dad, your parents or your guardians or those who are watching out over you. And, you know, sometimes they're on your back, but some point in your life, you'll realize that they're one of the few people in this world that have your back. They're one of the few people in this entire world of seven billion people that care whether you succeed or fail, that they have a vested interest. So there's a reason that they set the times that they do and the limits that they do, and I know you don't like to hear all that, but, but there's another more important thing that you're learning in these fundamental years. You are learning about authority and why it matters. You see, because if a child, a teenager, a young person does not learn about authority, he or she will struggle their whole lives. Now, let me expand it just a bit so I'm not just picking on the youth group. What about the rest of you? When you're going down Kellogg and you're taking a, a, a rather liberal interpretation, shall we say, of the posted speed limit, and you crest over the hill and you see that police officer there shooting radar off uh, his motorcycle. What's your, what's your first thought? Is it one of appreciation? Thank you, kind officer, for doing your job to serve and to protect, to enforce the laws uh, that have been set in place. Do we appreciate that? Not always, if we're honest. What about, uh, what about politics? Um, uh, I, I notice, uh, I'm, I'm sure none of you are involved in this, but it seems like our world has a lot of political opinions about the way things are going in this world, that, that this leader would fix it or this party would fix it and so on and so forth. But, but have you considered that Romans 13 is quite clear that, that, that those in authority have been put there by God for a reason, for a purpose? Uh, do you complain and gossip, be disrespectful toward those in power? Or do you pray for them? And do you pray for the decisions that they make that affect our lives? You see, there's a lot of areas I can really, I can just go all over the place in terms of stepping on toes because we're all guilty of it. We've all struggled with authority, whether it was your parents or the president or the police all across our culture, it's something almost ingrained within us, something maybe by nature that seems to buck the idea of authority. Now, setting that, that scene in mind, tonight we're going to look at a, a picture of a very unique man. In fact, he was paid one of the highest compliments that I'm, I, I consider in Scripture. He was a unique man. He was a rare man. 
And he was one in authority, and he could teach us a few things. If you're following along, you care to follow along, turn to the book of Luke, chapter 7 is where we are tonight. And we are going to be looking at verses 1 through 10. As you turn there, I want to give you a couple of background points. First of all, location-wise, we're in the city of Capernaum, which is a Galilean city. Now, according to Luke's account, uh, Jesus has already been here. I think it's about chapter uh, 4 or so, where he's been teaching and doing work. So the people of Capernaum are familiar with who Jesus is, his teaching and his good works and so forth. And in fact, he will later condemn them, the entire city, which is saying something, for their lack of faith. Luke chapter 10, verse 15, Jesus said, And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? Ah, you shall be brought down to Hades. Which he wasn't casting them to hell. He was saying, be brought down to death. You'll be no more. There will be a time when you do not exist, when you are not known as you are now. Then the character in our story tonight is a Roman centurion, a, a soldier. He was not an Israelite, and Luke loves to bring out these non-Jewish folks, people who weren't, people who didn't know the story. The B-I-B-L-E was not the book for me. I mean, that was, these are the Gentiles. They didn't, they didn't have the history. They didn't have the legacy. They didn't have all of the, the, uh, the tapestry of story connecting them all the way back to Abraham. These were people that had come along much much farther along in the story. And this is who Jesus, or Luke rather, is aiming the story of Jesus at, these Gentiles, these outsiders of God's people. This centurion has a problem. The problem, by the way, is not really a problem. It's a person. It's a servant of his. And he is very ill, this servant. He's not... um, Doing very well, seems like he may likely be near death. This is probably a bond servant, someone who was uh, indentured to him. He was had a, a purpose, maybe a debt or an obligation, uh, and, and probably, as we'll look at, very useful uh, to this centurion. We think of a servant like Joseph and how useful he was to Potiphar and how concerned he might be if Joseph fell deathly ill. So get this picture in mind. And... His concern over this bondservant is unusual. It shows already this picture of this man who is concerned in a way that most Roman centurions would not have shown concern. So there's something different. Now, this man finally was a man of authority. And we'll talk a little more about that, but but just a couple things to know. First, he was a man in authority, as we understand the Roman centurions were, and certainly as we understand the story of the cross, we would see there, you know, they were the police officers of the day, if you want to think about it like that. They were the ones who even had greater authority than, than, than the Jewish uh, authorities. They represented someone. But they were not only in authority, they were under authority. They had this whole system in the Roman army of, 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 of people who reported to whom. And, and the, the word, in fact, centurion sent... The root word there is, of course, 100. So often a centurion would be over, in some form or fashion, 100 other people. So he was in authority, and yet he was not only in authority over others, he was under authority himself. He knew what that meant. 
and why that was important. He served those who were above him, whatever they said, didn't matter. If he agreed with it, if he thought that was the right action, his job was not to question why his job was to do and maybe to die. And then he was to govern and command those who were below him. Okay, so we got this picture of Capernaum and the centurion and the servant and, and one in authority and what that looks like. Now, Luke chapter 7, 1 through 3, we'll read together at, more correctly. I'll read it and you'll listen politely. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Remember the city. here. Now, a centurion had a servant who was sick. And at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. And when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. Now, again, this centurion had very likely heard the story of Jesus. Not just about him, but had heard what he had said, what he had taught, what he had done, the ways in which this teaching impacted the people. More than that, what he had, how he had impacted people through the healings and the miracles and the good works that he had done. So Jesus was a man of reputation. The centurion obviously knows of that reputation. He knew Jesus had the ability to help. There was something within this Jewish rabbi that was different from other Jewish rabbis. What that looked like exactly, the scripture doesn't say from the centurion's perspective. So as we consider, again, all of the good that Jesus taught and all of the good that Jesus did, remember, this, the good that he did was a part of what he did, but that was not his primary mission. And Jesus did not come to earth specifically to do, you know, to teach all of these wonderful things and to do all of these amazing miracles. Those things happened. They were for a purpose, and the greater purpose was so that people would trust him and, even more so, that people would obey him. That's important because some this crowd of people, this group of people who knew what Jesus said and did were oftentimes focused on what he said and what he did and forgetting that what he said and what he did was for a reason and a purpose and a time. So knowing his ability, the centurion does what centurions do when they are seeking a problem to be solved, and that is they deliver it up. They... They give it to the one who can handle the problem. You, you've probably heard the parable story of uh, one of our ex-presidents. I won't tell you which because it doesn't matter. But someone asked him, what is the hardest part of being the president? He thought about it. And he said, the hardest part is I receive no easy decisions. All the decisions that are easily solved have been solved by people beneath me. But all the problems that can't be solved, or they have a moral quandary, or that there's no winning side, are passed upward until eventually they reach me. Now, I have the final decision, but the decisions that I reach are not 
easy. The decisions that have to be made are not easy. And uh, Centurion's doing is in a similar way what he would have done in any sort of problem. If he had a problem in a battle. He would have asked the, the commanding officer over him if they got in a hard spot what to do. And so Jesus, you understand the centurion's perspective here. He is doing something very beautiful in going to Jesus because you know, here's this Jewish rabbi. I mean, Centurions had nothing to do. They didn't care about the matters that that Jewish rabbis were concerned with, but yet there was something so different about this man, this Jesus, that he went to him not seeking a miracle for himself, but rather someone who is very important to him. It tells us a little bit about the perspective and the heart of this centurion. So he reaches out to Jesus through a mutual connection. He, he knew of Jesus, but he didn't know Jesus directly. And by this time, Jesus no doubt had a crowd of people that were following him, certainly had the disciples. He had people who were following Jesus just to hear the, his teaching, just to maybe get a miracle, have him do some healing. So Jesus was a popular enough guy that Jesus, at, at least in this interaction, wasn't somebody that you went up to, just went up to and, and, and handled your issues or ask your problems you kind of had to go and so the centurion goes through who seems to be the most logical mutual connection let's read Luke chapter 7 verses 4 and 5 now and when they came to Jesus they pleaded with him earnestly Um, back up I know I already read verse 3 but just to remind you of who it is when the centurion heard about Jesus he sent him to the elders of the Jews asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, this is the elders now, the Jewish elders, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation. He is the one who built us our synagogue. All right. Several several things going on here. First is, he's going through kind of a, a friend of a friend. Uh, you... If, if, I've never had this personal experience, so I have to speak hypothetically. But sometimes you you have something, someone that's very important or the position of power or influence, perhaps someone in your company that you work for, uh, perhaps someone in uh, politics or someone just in power who can do for you what you need done, but you don't have a direct connection. So it would be kind of odd just to cold call them and go straight to it. You can do that. But a, a wiser approach is to go through an intermediary, someone who can, you know, make a connection, a friend of a friend. And this is kind of what the, the Jewish centurion assumes, well, the people to go to would obviously be the elders. Now, what's, what's interesting here is the way the elders are pictured. The Jewish elders have been painted in a certain way in the book of Luke. We'll look at that in just a second. But, but the, the, the elders come on behalf of the centurion, and they basically make a threefold case. Number one, they say he is worthy. They, they ascribe to his character. Okay, here's a man who, this isn't going to be a wasted work. He's a good man. He's, he's seeking to do the right thing. He's done good things for us before. The second thing that they move toward is uh, that his, his motives. They say he loves our nation. Well, how do they know that? I mean, that was pretty unusual to say for a centurion that he loved the Jewish nation. You know, centurions didn't care about the Jews. They didn't care about any nation that they governed. They were there to do a job. They, didn't, they had no personal uh, feeling toward those they were in charge of. It just was unusual. And yet this man, pure man of heart that he was, 
help them to build the synagogue. And then and that's the third thing that they, they jump toward is his benevolence. He's helped us. He's, he's done good. So he's a man of character. He's got pure motives. And, and he's benevolent. Okay, they make it in the threefold case here that, that Jesus, this is a worthy guy. Uh, Jesus is, of course, uh, when he steps into the flesh, a man of limited time and resources and all of that. So we should help this guy. And why should we help this guy? Here's the reason. He's a man of good character. His motives are pure. And he's done a lot of good. Okay? Sounds like a not too bad of a case until, until you think about the people who are delivering the message. Now, the centurion wouldn't have known this. He couldn't have known this. But you know, if you care for a little more in-depth, which I assume that's what you're here for on Sunday night, turn to Luke chapter 9, verse 22. 9, verse 22. The scripture says at this point in the, in the, in the gospel, which we're not there yet, the Son of Man must suffer many things, and pay attention to this right here, and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. Jesus knew that these intermediaries here were going to be the same guys stabbing him in the back not too much later in the story. Luke chapter 20, verse 2, Luke goes on to give another dimension to the elders. Luke chapter 20, verse 2, and said to him, Tell us, these are the elders, by the way, who came up to him and said to him, Tell us, by what authority do you do these things, or who is it that gave you this authority? The elders would be the ones who would question Jesus' authority. Yet they heard him. They saw him do the works. But, but these are the guys who are going to have the, the knives out not too far, and they, they challenged Jesus' authority. They were the one. Turn now to Luke chapter 22, verse 52. Then, this is, this is in the garden now, where he's being betrayed. Then, Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, have you come out, have... <laughs> Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness reigns. That's pretty indicting. And Jesus knew their hearts as he knew the hearts of all men. Do you you understand the the unusual position that Jesus is in here? He got this, this, this guy who's a good guy who goes through pretty much a, a bunch of bad actors, and, 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 and they deliver this message, hey, you really should do this, and Jesus, knowing full well, you guys are going to reject me, you guys are going to balk at my authority, you guys are going to be there in the garden when I'm arrested. Why do we go through all that? Jesus, Jesus still went to the centurion. And and initially I wrote in my notes that Jesus went not because of the elders, but because of the centurion. But maybe it's deeper than that. Because, I mean, certainly the centurion was a righteous man. We've made the case. But we don't know the centurion fully. And obviously no one, all of us fall short. No one meets the perfect standard. So wasn't it a bunch of centurions who 
stood around and gambled for the last pieces of property that Jesus had on earth? I think that it was. So why did Jesus go? I mean, maybe it wasn't this centurion per se, but but Jesus knew that every person he was dealing with (laughs) had their shortfalls and shortcomings. And Jesus didn't go because of the elders, and Jesus didn't even go because of the centurion. Jesus went not because of who they were, but because of who he was. There's a there's a there's a little bit of a lesson there. If you're if you're losing track with me, just pay attention to this. It's not so much about who you are. Some people don't come to Jesus because of who they are, because of what they've done. I mean, you have to have the right heart and all that, but but there's a deeper message that what what happens to us in the new creation, what happens in the story of the gospel, has very little to do with who we are and everything to do with who he is. And so Jesus goes to the centurion. We're reading now back to Luke chapter 7, verses 4 and following. And when they came to Jesus, um, I'm sorry, uh, verses 6 through 8, And Jesus went with them. And when it was not far from the house, a centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I, too, am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, he goes, and to another, come, and he comes And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Now, on their way, they're leaving. Jesus leaves, not because of who they are, because who he is. And this beautiful, powerful picture, I meant no no, no doubt, followed by the disciples, and uh, undoubtedly by the the elders and the leaders, uh, they're heading off to this centurion's house, and this... Centurion stops them, sends a, 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 a messenger <clears throat> to deliver this message. Number one, don't trouble yourself. He realizes a journey requires time and resources and all that. This is number two, I am not worthy to have you in my home. This is a couple of things. Number one, it's very humble. He's, he's spe- speaking humbly. He, if he knows who Jesus is, and knows who he is, then his humility here is quite beautiful and impressive. But number two, this was a very considerate thing to do because the Jewish people, they had a, a sort of a thing about entering the homes of Gentiles. Jewish leaders and teachers didn't go into the home of Gentiles. That was just social faux pas. It's not in the book of Luke, but in the book of John, chapter 18, verse 28, we get this insight into this tradition. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the, this is at the crucifixion of the trial before the crucifixion, uh, to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They, They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. Isn't that impressive that that somehow the centurion understood this, 
that it would defile Jesus, it would defile those who he's with, to have Jewish holy people, God's holy people, to come under the roof of a Gentile, someone who, who didn't worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, someone who may have had a few idols in the household, some who may have been to a pagan festival. Do you understand what he understands about himself? Very humble, very considerate. And here is the beautiful, powerful, amazing act of faith that happens in this story. Just say the word and let my servant be healed. He he knows, he knows from his whole life experience that those in authority don't have to go do the job themselves, that those in authority just say the word and the job gets done. Think about this from, uh, from, from, from our world for just a second. Let's, let's say, let's suppose uh, that you're not a Sunday night upstanding person that you are, but rather uh, that you're a prisoner and you're, you're in prison and, and you're seeking a presidential pardon. Now, I would talk about your crime, but we're in, in good company, so I don't want to do that. But you're seeking a presidential pardon. You realize he's the only one who can do it. So you write off a, les- uh, a letter to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue there to Mr. Trump's desk, and just in hope and prayer that that letter will find its way into the right hands who deliver to Mr. Trump, and he'll see it and have a benevolent heart and decide to pardon you. Let's say that just for sake of argument that he decides to do that. Does he have to traipse all the way down here to the, to the jail where you are and see to it that the doors are open and all that? No, of course not. He, all he has to do is say the word, sign the signature, and, and a, a series of motions all the way down the chain will happen, and that prisoner will be freed. He, he understands this. This, this concept that, that the Jewish leaders didn't get, and maybe that some of us don't fully get today. And sometimes we wonder, Jesus, where are you? I mean, if you're in charge, God, where are you? If you're in charge, can't you make, I mean, don't you understand that some, if God would just show up, and sometimes I think God needs us to know that he showed up. He, he sent his people. He has people there. He has maybe his celestial servants there who are doing work that you know nothing about. God doesn't necessarily have to show up to do a great thing. And this is what the centurion knows, and I hope that we'll remember it. They, they understand that the word of the authority is all he needs. And I, just in thinking of this amount of faith from this centurion, I can't, I mean, this amount of faith impresses me. And I hope it does you, I hope it does as, for you as well. Turn to Luke chapter 8, verse 24. The story of Jesus calming the storm. Beautiful story. Uh, Just going to pick a piece right out of the middle. The disciples, this is they, and they woke him saying, Master, we're perishing. And he woke and he rebuked the wind and the raging waves and they ceased and there was calm. That's authority. And they said to him, where, and he said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this? That he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. I'm telling you, 
that the disciples in the midst of a storm around a rabbi that they had followed for three years didn't understand who Jesus was. And this centurion <laughs> just, just it amazes me that this centurion who didn't know God and who was so far from God, he knew who Jesus was. Isn't that powerful? Doesn't it make you think just a little bit about your own problems and the things that you've tried to just, I just, I'll just handle it myself. The centurion knew all he needed was a word. The disciples didn't even understand that fully. Here's a man both in authority and under authority who's yielding to the ultimate authority. And he knows who he is. And how he knew that, I, I don't know. How he came to that conclusion that the elders didn't understand, the Pharisees didn't understand, his own disciples struggled to understand. How did the centurion know that? Somehow, somehow he sees and knows what many of his own people do not see and will not see, maybe because they don't want to. Maybe not because they can't. Maybe they just don't want to. Jesus, though he appeared as ordinary, Isaiah is clear about that, he was no ordinary rabbi. And he had authority and power that we, even today, sometimes struggle to fully understand. But, but, Sometimes, I've noticed this just in life, sometimes people who are in authority, they almost recognize other people in authority. I don't know what that is. Maybe it's just the way they're wired, but they can just tell. You get a room full of people, and people in authority kind of begin to, to see one another. They begin to realize who people are, who the wielders of influence are, who those who can, who can change the way things are are. Maybe it was that this man, a man in authority, knew he was dealing with full authority. Not just an authority, but the authority. I mean, the the word of God. Not, Not just a word from God, but the word of God. Jesus' authority is is huge, and it's important because Luke draws it out all the way through his account. He highlights his authority in several different ways. First, his teaching authority. Uh, Luke chapter 4, if you're carrying to follow along, Luke chapter 4, verse 32. 4, verse 32, the scripture tells us that we've already covered that Jesus was a teacher unlike no other. And at verse 32 of chapter 4, they were astonished at his teaching for his word possessed authority. There's a difference between someone who teaches and someone who teaches with authority. Someone who's written the book. Someone who, who's spoken the word. The second way in that, that, Jesus, that Luke rather highlights Jesus' authority is just a few verses down. Chapter 4, verse 36. And all they were, they were all amazed. And they said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, 
and they come out. Now, it wasn't just his teaching authority. That was one thing. But second thing is, he could talk to these demons. He could talk to these, these uh, unclean spirits. And he, they recognized him. I mean, they often said, Lord Jesus, don't, please don't send us away. I mean, they, were, they instantly knew who he was. It took them a little while to get there, but they realized this guy had authority, not just at the spoken world, but over the spiritual world. The part that you and I can't see, that, that the scriptures say are clearly real, Jesus has all authority in that. And he has, as we talked about in the, the story of the storm, uh, the, the, the authority over the physical world, that the wind and the waves obey him. And then Luke chapter 9, verse 1. He called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. So he had power of the word, he had power of the spiritual world, he had power of the physical world, and he had the authority to give authority. I mean, just think about that kind of power and how Jesus handled that. And yet Jesus... Jesus... Very few people recognized Jesus for who he was instantaneously. In fact, the demons and the spirits are the ones that tended to see that. But here's a story of a Gentile, a centurion. He didn't know the story, didn't know the connection, didn't have all of the background. And yet, instantly, by, by virtue of his reputation, maybe hearing him teach, seeing his works, knew this guy is one in authority in every sense of the word. And this guy, I mean, all he's got to do is say it. And it's done. This amazing centurion was paid one of the highest compliments in Scripture. And this lesson is, is for all of us. May we Humbly, like the centurion, trust Jesus. When Jesus heard these things, verse 9, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. And the, the higher compliment, I cannot imagine that from Jesus himself, he says, I haven't seen anyone. All of you who read about me and who've heard the prophecies about me and who know a Messiah is coming, none of you have faith like this centurion. That's not only a high compliment of them, that is a strong indictment toward them. Their lack of faith. They're, I mean, just think about the word. The ESV uses the word marveled. Another translation uses the word amazed. How is it that you amaze Jesus? The centurion did it. The centurion, who was made by God, created in his image, caused the Son of God to stand back and go, Aha! that's faith. I think it's a, a beautiful picture, and I think it's a wonderful lesson and an example for us. May we have such humility 
toward the authority and the power of Jesus. And when, when you think about it for just a second, think through this past week. Did you worry about anything? Did you act in a way that was unbecoming of you because deep down you were fearful? Were you bitter over the past? Angry over something that's happened to you? you have anxiety? In a gentle as a way as I can, let me gently step on your toes and say all of those issues are rooted in pride. Worry, fear, anxiety is believing that God won't get it right. And bitterness and anger is believing that God got it wrong. But when you lower yourself as this centurion in authority did, and humble yourself before the authority and the power of Jesus, and you trust Him enough to say, I just need your word. And I know all is well. That's great humility. And of course, the eternal implications are just as strong. We have to fear Jesus. We have to humble ourselves before Jesus. And that fear and that humility has to be greater than any other thing that we fear in this world. Our fear in Jesus must be must far exceed any other emotion or choices that we make. So tonight, I want to ask you, are you humbly trusting Jesus? Now, I don't mean did you sit through a sermon and and we got to the invitation. I, I mean, are you, in each step of your life, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, from 12 a.m. to 11.59 p.m., are you, are you trusting in His Word? Are you trusting in His authority? Because to do that, you have to, you have, that means no fear, no worry, no anxiety, no bitterness, no anger, because you trust Him. All the way. It's indicting, it's indicting of myself, I mean, May we take the centurion's attitude and may we have his humble spirit. If, if you are not ready to step into eternity, if you are not ready to go into the six-foot hole in the ground, if you're not ready for that moment to be on the other side of the dirt, if you're not ready to meet your maker, if you're not ready to meet the greatest authority, the authority, You need Jesus. And if you don't know Him, I want to encourage you to begin that journey tonight. And if you know Him, but your faith has been lacking, we can pray for you or or encourage you. Uh, We want to help you do that as well. But may we leave here tonight committed to humbly trusting the authority of Jesus the Christ.
you have public need tonight, please come down front and respond, and we'll help you in any way that we can. As together, we sing.